Welcome to Cornerstone Reformed Baptist Church. Thank you for using and sharing our resources. What you're about to hear is God's Word from one of our teaching elders. We trust that God's Word will inspire, instruct, and bless you. For further teachings or information on our ministry, please visit us on our website at cornerstonerbc.com. That's cornerstonerbc.com. Very good, brother. As I said, we are going to start by God's grace in the book of Judges, which is the book that I ask you to please open up your Bibles to. We have there 36 verses. And here, as we start now with this, it's kind of like a continuation, if you want, my dear brother and sister, of this story or this history of the people of Israel. We know from the end of the book of Joshua that Joshua is now dead. The people of Israel have been left without a leader. But as we are going to see here in the book of Judges, the presence of the Lord continues to be with the people of Israel, even though they do not have a leader. And one of the very important things that we're going to see here in chapter 1 of the book of Judges, my dear brother and sister, is somehow a little bit of a change in the identity of the people of Israel. Before the book of Judges, the people of Israel were relating to the Lord through an intermediary. If you remember in the book of Deuteronomy, that was through Moses. And then in the book of Joshua, it was Joshua himself who was doing that role of a leader, of an intermediary between the people of Israel and the God of Israel. If God was going to speak to the people of Israel, he will do it through Moses first and after through Joshua. The people of Israel will receive the commands, the instructions, and even manifestations of the power of the Lord through the words of the intermediary, that is Moses in Deuteronomy or Joshua in the book of Joshua. Here, as we start with this book of Judges, we're going to see a change in the identity of the people of Israel. Now, the people of Israel are going to relate to God as a unity, and more than that, through their tribes. Here we see the tribal identity of the people of Israel. That is what we're going to read. Even the tribes are going to come before the Lord to speak to the Lord, God of Israel. And something very important as we are going to read here in Judges chapter 1 is this separation or, or this uh, kind of like division that we start to see in the people of Israel between that which corresponds to the southern part of the people of Israel, that as we're going to see that is represented by Judah, and the northern part of the people of Israel that is represented by Ephraim. If you remember from your Bibles, when you read 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and then Kings, and then the exiles, you remember that this kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, is eventually going to be divided into two kingdoms. One of them is going to be the southern kingdom, and the other one is going to be the northern kingdom. And the southern kingdom is going to be commanded or led by the people of Judah. That we are going to start to see here in Judges chapter 1. Judah is going to be joined to Simeon, which they share basically the same portion of land, and at times also Benjamin. So when you are reading the scriptures and you hear of the southern part of Israel, or Judah, sometimes they are related or they are considered to be Simeon and Benjamin altogether. And then the northern part of the people of Israel, that is sometimes we hear the word Ephraim or the tribe of Ephraim, the northern part of the kingdom. Here in Judges, we see this distinction that is made first. 
The people of Judah are going to be commended by the Lord God. Without a leader now, they're going to be commanded to go and take possession of the remaining parts of the land. And the presence of the Lord is going to be initially with the tribe of Judah that is going to be joined to Simeon and also to Benjamin. They are going to take possession of the land. We're going to read that they are going to defeat a very powerful king. And here in Judges chapter 1, brethren, we see how the tribe of Judah is going to take possession of Hebron and Jerusalem. These two cities, these are very important cities, Hebron and Jerusalem. If you remember from your reading of the scriptures, Hebron and Jerusalem are the places in which the Lord or the King or King David ruled for the first time. Hebron first and then Jerusalem. The tribe of Judah will take possession of those cities that are so important to the people of Israel in this chapter that we are going to read. Then in the second part of the chapter, we'll see how Ephraim and the remaining part or the remaining tribes of the people of Israel are also going to be commanded to go and take possession of the land. And they're going to take very important cities like Ephraim is going to take Bethel and some other important cities. But as we progress through this first chapter, there is going to be a common denominator between the southern part of the kingdom and the northern part of the kingdom. There is going to be a common denominator for the people of Judah and for the people of Ephraim or the sons of Joseph and the rest of the people of Israel. And that is that even though the presence of the Lord is among them, they will fail to drive out the rest of the Canaanites. And they are not going to fail, brethren, because they like power or strength or because the presence of the Lord is not among them. They are going to fail because they are going to enter in treaties with them and making them their forced labor. They are going to keep them in their land and they are going to go against the commandment of the Lord who had told them repeatedly that they were supposed to drive them out, that the presence of the Lord was going to be among them, even to the point, brethren, that as we arrive to the last two verses of this chapter number one, we see that the conquest now turns and reverse. The people of Dan who are supposed to go and take possession of the land now are removed from the land by the Canaanites or the Amorites because of the disobedience of the people of Israel. So let us, brethren, read these 36 verses that we have in front of us, having now explained to given a, a general overview of what we're going to be reading. And let us read with faith, paying attention to each one of the words, as I aim and I hope to speak to you about the need of a leader. This is the word of the Lord, 36 verses in front of us. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pay attention and read by faith. Judges chapter 1. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and, and the Perizzites into their hand. And they defeated ten thousand of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. 
And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God, or the gods, have repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. And the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem, and captured it, and struck it with the edge of the sword, and set the city on fire. And afterward, the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country, in the Negev, and in the lowland. And Judah went again against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriat Arba. And they defeated Sheshai and Ahiman and Talmai. From there they went against the inhabitants of the Bir. The name of the Bir was formerly Kiriat Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kiriat Sefer and captures it, I will give him Aksa, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kinas, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. And he gave Aksa, his daughter, for a wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing, since you have set me in the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. And the descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up with the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev near Arat, and they went and settled with the people. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Septa and devoted it to destruction. So the name of the city was called Horma. Judah also captured Gaza with its territory, and Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he, Judah, could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said. And he drove out from Ed the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites had lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Verse 22. The house of Joseph, that is Ephraim and Manasseh, also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please, show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, and they let the man and all his family go. And the men went to the land of the Hittites and built a city and called its name Luz. This is the name to this day. Verse 27. Manasseh, one of the sons of Joseph, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Ibliam and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. For the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in the land. Pay attention to 28. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. And Ephraim, verse 29, did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. 
Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalol. So the Canaanites lived among them but became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive the inhabitants of Akal or the inhabitants of Sidon or the or of Ahlav or Aksiv or Helba or Afik or Rehav. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. So they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became subject to forced labor for them. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Hades, in Aijalon, and in Shalbin, but the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them, and they became subject to forced labor, and the burden of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akrabin, from Selah, and upward. That is the word of the Lord. And my dear brother, my dear sister, as we start to read this book of Judges, if we wanted to find the substance, the, 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 the core that goes through the book of Judges, we could say that in the book of Judges, we see the vital need that the people of Israel have for a leader. Having a leader, it was a vital necessity for the people of Israel. And when I say vital, I'm not just simply choosing an adjective to go together with necessity, but indeed it's a vital necessity because, vital referring to life, the life of Israel depended as a community upon having a leader. A leader was the one that was commanding them to take possession of the land. A leader was the one that was mediating the words of the Lord to the people of Israel. The people of Israel depended upon having a leader. And it's such the point that we can see all of that proved through the text of Judges. As we're going to see here, the people of Israel without a leader are going to deviate in their ways, are going to change their paths. Remember, they had been very obedient under Joshua. They had been under the best time of their history, perhaps, obeying all the commandments of the Lord. But without a leader, my dear brother and sister, the people of Israel are going to deviate to such a point that the only thing that the Lord will do is giving over these people of Israel to judgment. The Lord will raise nations around the people of Israel to come as judgment upon the people of Israel because of their wickedness and because of their disobedience. And just as the people of Israel were in bondage under the people of Egypt and under Pharaoh, we will see that for many years, because of the disobedience of the people of Israel, they will be under bondage of the king of Mesopotamia, of the Canaanites and the Amorites, and they will be jumping from nation to nation because they are disobedient and they do not have a leader. Then the judgment of the Lord will be so powerful upon the people of Israel that the remnant of the people of Israel will be moved to repentance. And once they repent, the Lord will raise a judge. 
he will raise a leader. A leader that will come and deliver the people of Israel from the oppressing hands of the nations that had been used as instruments of judgment by the Lord so that they will understand that it's only abiding in the Lord that they can have times of peace. And as we're going to progress through this book, we are going to see that there will be times, extended times of wicked, horrendous, black disobedience, brethren. We're going to read horrendous things in the book of Judges. And then the hand of the judgment of the Lord will come upon them so mightily, they will be given over to the oppression of the nations, and then a judge will be raised to bring peace to the land. Vital necessity for the people of Israel to have a leader. But if that is the case, and I don't know if this happened to you when you first read the book of Judges, if it's so clear with Moses and with Joshua and with, through what happens in the book of Judges, that it's necessary for the people of Israel to have a leader, because it's only when they have a leader, a judge, that they are living in peace and prosperous and in obedience. If that is the case, why would God leave them without a leader? Why would God, the God who replaced Moses with Joshua, right? Remember, you know, Moses died, and then he was replaced with Joshua. Why would God not replace Joshua? Why would God not choose another leader for the people of Israel? Caleb would have been perhaps a very good option, right? He could have chosen a leader to continue in the conquering of the land and to continue to fulfill all the things that were supposed to take place in the, in the land that they were now taking possession of. Why would God leave the people of Israel without a leader? Even as we progress through the book of Judges, you see that famous verse, even in the last verse of the book of Judges, you might remember this famous verse that in those days there was no king in the land of Israel and everyone did according to their own eyes or according to what they pleased. Remember that famous verse? If it was so necessary according to this book that there would be a king or there would be a leader, why would God leave them leaderless? Well, my dear brother and sister, the answer is that he didn't. He did not leave the people of Israel leaderless. He was supposed to be the king. God, Yahweh, was supposed to be the leader of the people of Israel. And that is proved in this chapter very clearly because the communion of God with the people of Israel was still there. The people of Judah, the people of Ephraim, they came to the Lord and the presence of the Lord was with them. The Lord spoke to the people of Israel without the need of a leader, without the need of an intermediary. They did not need Joshua for God to speak to them. God spoke to them and not only commanded them, but also empowered them to go and complete the work that he had promised that he was going to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. That he was going to empower the people of Israel. God was supposed to be the king and the leader of the people of Israel. And my dear brother, my dear sister, what we have in the book of Judges is a testimony to the wicked heart of human beings, in this case the people of Israel, rejecting the ruling and power and the kingship of God. Rather choosing and preferring to have a human leader that will please them according to their perspectives and their ideas, rather than submitting themselves to the king, the king of kings and the lord of lords, the king of Israel, the lord himself. 
What we are seeing here through chapter 1 and chapter 2 is the breaking of the covenant of the people of Israel, my dear brother and sister, with God himself who was supposed to be the king of Israel. And my dear brother and my dear sister, here we learn something very important. The health of the community of the people of God depends on the individual submission of every person that conforms that community to the Lord. The health, the health of the community of the people of God depends upon a genuine submission of each one of the individuals who comprise that community of the Lord. And this is very important, my dear brother and my dear sister. The people of Israel were not going to conquer and were not going to accomplish anything in the plan of the Lord if each individual did not submit to the Lord from the heart individually. And it's the same for the church. The local church and the context of the local church is not going to thrive. It's not going to increase and grow in maturity and in power and in sanctification if each individual of the community of the church is not genuinely submitted to the Lord himself. As humans, my dear brother and sister, in the flesh, we're always very tempted to transfer responsibility from the individual to the community. Why do you live the life that you live? Well, you know, I have this situation that is going on in my family. Or why do you do and are the things that you are? Well, you know, my church is not the best. Why the situation in your life is like this? Well, you know, the government is not, all, not, not the best. The individual is very tempted, it's very easy to transfer responsibility from self, from the individual to the community in which they belong. And that's why we're going to find the people of Israel later on when they see all of their problems in 1 Samuel and in 2 Samuel asking for themselves a solution for the community rather than asking for a solution for their heart. They did not want to submit to the Lord in their heart. What is the solution? Let's find a king for the community that will fight against the nations just like the nations have. Brethren, the well-being of the community of the people of God depends upon the individual submission of each one of the members of the community of the Lord to God himself. Because when everyone who is seated in the chair is submitted to the king of kings, then the community is what is supposed to be. When the individual is not submitted to the king of kings, who is the Lord, then the community will try to make up ways in the flesh to keep the community going in such a way so that we are not offended. And that is what happened to the people of Israel. That deep in their heart, my dear brother and sister, they rejected the king of kings. And that's why they are going to end up, my dear brother and sister, cutting the arms of a woman and distributing it through all Israel. Sexual immorality to its core. Blackness and darkness in ways that not even in secular writings you will find. You will find it in the book of Judges. Why? Because that is the depravity, the blackness and the unrighteousness of the hearts of men. And of course, my dear brother and sister, there is a place for human leaders. There is a place for those who are appointed by the Lord. But you know what that place is? That place is something that we read last week in Joshua chapter 24. If you come to that place very quickly, my dear brother and sister, Joshua chapter 24 in verse 31. A verse that is going to be repeated in Judges chapter 2. But let us read it from Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, verse 31. Pay attention to what the 
external fleshly obedience of the people of Israel was contingent upon. And here we can see the role of leaders, human leaders, in this economy of the kingdom of God. It says, verse 31 of Joshua chapter 24, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders, who is like 12 or 14 years, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Did you pay attention to that? The obedience of the people of Israel was in this case contingent upon the life of Joshua and the life of the elders, those who had lived in times and had seen and observed the mighty works and all the things that the Lord had done for Israel. Why? Because if you remember Deuteronomy and the book of Joshua, many repetitions there we see, remember, remember from the mouth of Joshua. Remember? You remember, brethren? That that is basically what Moses and Joshua did. Remember, remember what the Lord had done. Remember that he took you out of Egypt. Remember that he took you through the wilderness. Remember how he defeated the cities. Remember how he defeated the kings. Why? Because the leaders were there only to point the people to the one who was working in them. To preach, to communicate to the people of God the mighty works that the Lord had done, not for the sake of only fearfully obeying, but rather by faith, my dear brother and sister. These people were expected to receive by faith everything that they had seen, observed, and witnessed, and by that faith in their heart, submit themselves to the kingship of the King of kings and Lord of lords. They opened their eyes when all of these leaders were dead. And they saw the land and the Canaanites and the mighty, you know, the, the work of the Canaanites. And they say, oh, they could be good for labor for us. Let us make treaties with them in their heart, going against the Lord. And for that, for that specific reason, my dear brother and sister, we see all of the unrighteousness that we will read through the book of this. And my dear brother and my dear sister, what a glorious blessing we have in the church that now we do not have a leader that is only speaking to us about God, but rather we have a leader, we have a head of our body, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God himself, that is not only speaking to us about God, but that is God himself, the word of God himself, and is abiding in him and listening to his voice, that we can see the mighty words that God has done on our behalf, and that in where our hearts are filled with the faith that is necessary for us to continue to submit to this King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. And it's very important for the church to know, my dear brother and sister, that apart from genuine individual submission from the heart to this King of Kings and this Lord of Lords, then the church never is going to be what is supposed to be. We might spend our time trying to think how we're going to fix our family, our church or the government, even trying to put strength and money and power to change this and change that. But if there's no genuine submission from the heart, from each individual member of the church, then the church will remain powerless, shortless, and without life and without light. Something that is contrary to the will of God for his church. Amen. Very good, brethren. Let us, let us pray.